0: Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Let me pray for us as we go to the Father and ask Him to speak to our hearts, uh, that we're not just doing like a religious thing or trying to get smarter uh, here today, but that we want to encounter Him. And so let's pray. Father, we come before You, and uh, we ask that You would meet with us. There's stuff happening all over this campus. Good stuff happening. You know, little kids in the nursery and in this building and, you know, elementary building stuff's happening and 56 and middle school and and right here in this room and online, I pray that you would have your Holy Spirit move in our hearts, in our lives, in our marriages, in our singleness, in our addictions, and in our idolatry. I pray you'd smash some idols today. Uh, It'll be painful, but necessary. I pray for uh, people who need encouragement. Their hearts are heavy. Uh, or need rest that you give rest to their souls it's in jesus name i pray amen last week i started the message off we were really focusing on john chapter 4 verse 23 where it says that god is seeking true worshipers and we know throughout the scripture we see that god is a pursuing god Uh, he's coming after second chronicles talks about that his eyes search through the earth to and fro seeking looking for whose heart's fully committed to him Jesus, you know, in Luke chapter 15 tells the parable of all these lost things and going after these lost things. And in chapter 19 of Luke, he says that he came to seek and save the lost. But in John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus is speaking. And we saw at the beginning of the series, when Jesus speaks, God speaks. Jesus is God. He says that the Father is seeking true worshipers. And the interesting thing is that we're all seeking stuff. It doesn't matter whether you're on your Grubhub app or a dating app, whether you're looking for a job or whether you're checking your 401k. Like, we're seeking things. What are you seeking? And so how many of you here have ever played hide and seek as a kid? Play that. You lost your keys as an adult, it's basically the same thing. <laughs> okay, okay. Got devices for that now. Uh, I've just started to, to learn and figure out. Or if you've ever lost an actual car. I'll tell you what, that mall parking lot's a lot bigger when you're walking. <laughs> I've done it. Um, the other day at our house, uh, I lost our dog. And, uh, yeah, it was rough. We've got two, that's the good news, uh, but (laughs) a little context, the reason why we have two, when we got the first dog, uh, it was because I wanted him, and we brought him home, and I thought, like, we've got all these girls, and, you know, my wife, they've got their thing happening with all that, and I said, I need another boy in this house. So we bought a dog, and he picked my wife. You know how dogs will, like, go to one person? And uh, if you meet us as a couple, you should do the same thing. She's a better human than I am. I totally understand. Like, I would pick her, too. But it's like the dog, like, even the dog? Picked it. So I, like, I paid for you. I picked you. I'm feeding you. And you're hanging out with her is kind of how it works. And uh, so I said, let's get a second dog, thinking, well, then at least he, well, he doesn't have anybody else to go to. He's got to come to me. So he goes to her, too. But then the first dog, the first dog's name is Noble. He gets mad. He's kind of a stuck up. He's like snotty. And he turns his head away when the new dog comes. He won't look at the other dog for like the first couple weeks. And then he starts hanging out with me. So like I'm a second choice, but now he's my guy. And uh, the way it works at our house is I stay up later than everybody else. So it's my job to shut everything down. You know, turn the lights off, set the alarm, let the dogs out one last time. And I came down the other night. It was midnight, and I couldn't find Noble anywhere. And I thought, all right, maybe... Maybe he's hiding because he doesn't want to go to his room. He wants to go to, you know, hide under somebody's bed. So I do like a military sweep of the house. Like I got a flashlight. I'm looking, like saying his name, calling for him. Nothing. I go out in the backyard. He's not out there. He's not on the front porch, which is usually where he comes when he does go do a little adventure. And he's not. So I go out in the woods. Flashlight. Not out there. Second sweep of the house. This time I'm not as tactful. I'm turning lights on. People are what are you doing? I'm like, you're sleeping. You'll remember it's a dream in the morning. Like, it's, forget it. And not to my wife, but to everybody else. And so, go. but in our bedroom, I'm under the bed. Like, I'm Noble, are you there? Shine on the flashlight. He's not there. Back out in the woods again, second time. And I hear some big dogs barking. Noble's not a big dog. He's a miniature dachshund. He's got an identity crisis, though. He thinks he's a German shepherd. So that's a problem. So I know that he will not run from the battle. And so... I've got to go find him, I've got to rescue this guy. I hop in my car, think if he's gotten hit, I don't want the kids to see that on the way to school. You know, He's coming to the end of his life. He's you know, 11 years old now. My one daughter, Janie, she says sometimes, when Noble dies, can we get a golden retriever? And I'm like, he's right there, come on. Like, <laughs> so. so I start driving, looking for this where these dogs are barking and I'm driving down roads. I don't know if it's cause like seeing scary commercials for Halloween time or what, but I'm like, does that guy have like a chainsaw collection? I didn't know these roads were here. I'm gonna be on the side of the road, like where are the kid. and so I do that for about 30 minutes. Can't find Noble. I have covered, like with the woods, the roads, about a two mile radius of our whole house. I go back home, and now I'm doing like last resort. Like I don't know what, my wife gets up at 4.30 in the morning, so I'm not waking her up, it's 1.30 now. But I'm like, I gotta tell, I can't just like the dog be gone, and she wakes up in the morning and thinks I was negligent. I gotta like validate my 90 minute search I've been on here. So I wake up, I'm like, Shan, I've been looking for the dog for the last 90 minutes. I can't find him. She says, what? She starts talking. He comes, she didn't even call him. He comes trotting out from underneath our bed. <laughs> I'm like, you were right there the whole time? <laughs> oh, so many of us are seeking things. And God's actually seeking us. He's been right there the whole time. What are you seeking? And probably a better question today as we go back to John chapter 4. Are you the kind of worshiper that he's seeking? The true worshiper? If you weren't with us, what's happening in the gospel of John is that in John chapter two, at the end of it, we're told that Jesus knows what's in a person's heart. And the first person he has an encounter with after that is a man named Nicodemus. He's the religious elite. Uh, He's wealthy. He's a socialite. uh, He's a scholar. He's everything that everybody would say that you're supposed to be. He comes in darkness and he leaves, as far as we can tell, condemned not because Jesus condemned him. John chapter three and verse 16, famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus as a gift, gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. And he says, I didn't come to condemn the world. But then verse 18 says, but you're already condemned if you don't believe in him. You bring your own condemnation. Then in John chapter four, he has the same conversation, different analogy, uses different words. Instead of talking about the father sending the son, he gave his son. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's talking to you, He has this conversation with this woman. Racially, there's tension. There's been a couple hundred years of racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. And she's a Samaritan. And she's a woman. And she's not educated. And she's not rich. She's an outcast. She's coming to the well at an odd time. A well that's not close to her house. We know where it's located. She's trying to avoid people because of her shame and her sin, especially with men. And here sits not just a man, a Jewish man. And he says, can I have a drink? And she says, uh, you know about the racial tension, right? And I'm unclean and that's what's happening here. And He says, if you knew who was asking, you'd ask me for a drink, which is like a Jesus juke by Jesus. But you ask me for a drink. Why are you telling me I should be asking you? I got a bucket. Can you just move? Like, what are you thinking if you're her? But he starts talking about this thing called living water. is talked about a lot in the Old Testament. He if you knew what, living, what, it's welling up to eternal life. And she's like, all right, I'm in. I'll take some of that. And he goes, uh, let's talk about your sin. Whoa. <laughs> Go call your husband. I don't have one. That's right. You've had five. The guy you're living with now, not your husband. She starts talking about worship. Isn't it really interesting to you that Jesus never comes back to try and prove to her, hey, you know, adultery is one of the top 10, right? Like, and you're doing it? No. He goes with her on the conversation about worship, but he doesn't talk about what she wants to talk about, location, this mountain or that mountain. He says, let's talk about what kind of worshiper because your problem is you worship what you don't know. You are a false worshiper, but she turns into a true worshiper and we didn't talk about that last week. Uh, Look at the worship conversation with me if you have your Bibles in John chapter four. Uh, For the sake of giving you that context, we'll start in verse 19. The woman said to him, and so this is after he confronts her adultery. He says, uh, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. She compliments him. You ever get those emails? Nice email, nice things at the beginning. You're a jerk. Bad stuff at the end. Here we go. go. I see that you're a prophet. Now let's talk about something that she's had some church experience because this has been a theological argument between Jews and Samaritans for a couple hundred years. It's not really her argument. It's like sometimes when people talk to you about why does bad stuff happen or what about this? It's like if I answered those questions, then would you believe? Because that's usually not the issue. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. Here's your real problem. We worship what we know for salvation from the Jews. It's not saying all the Jews are Christians. It's saying, but they got the truth. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, one preposition in two words: spirit and truth. You can't separate them. For, the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Remember why Jesus came before I read, this, read the next part of this next verse, John chapter one verse 18. No one's ever seen God, but if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. That's John 118. Remember why? John wrote the gospel of John. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. I wrote these things not to tell you about people who believed, but so you would believe. And by believing, so something happens to you, you're transformed. You have eternal life. Look what happens next. He says, God is spirit. Well, Jesus came to reveal who God is. He's saying, God is spirit. You'd never know him if he didn't reveal him. You can't just know spirit. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. One preposition, two words, spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. Then John tells us, he who's called the Christ, so you know what she's talking about when she says Messiah. When he comes, this is her speaking again, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus came to reveal who God is and he's saying, I am God. And then, what does she do? It's not so that we know that she believes. So what is God going to do in you? Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar. That's interesting. She came for water. Now she's got living water. And went away into the town and said to the people, who are these people? Aren't these the people she's been avoiding? Isn't this why she came at a weird time? At a weird place? Aren't these the people that caused her pain? She said to the people, Come see. We've heard that before. <laughs> Remember what Andrew does with Peter? When he finds the Messiah? Come. Every time you see Andrew in the Gospel of John, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Remember Philip with Nathaniel? Nathaniel had questions. Am I trying to answer all those questions? He says, Come and see. Get people to Jesus as fast as you can. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. What I believe is happening in this passage is that Jesus teaches her what true worship is. It's worship in spirit and truth. Both together, can't separate them. And then what we see is that when she realizes he's the savior of the world, which is at the end of this passage in verse 42, when he says, I am he, the Messiah, the Christ is coming, I am he, she sees who he is, transforms her life. She receives this living water that he talked about in verse 14, will be welling up in her, And now we see it overflowing out of her. The people she's avoiding, she's a different person now. She's going to those people, not to prove who she is, but to get them to Jesus. Transformation. And what you see, and this first point is gonna be some review of last week, but sharpening some things. and making sure we're more accurate on some things. We didn't miss some of the things I was more subtle on. Is this, that true worshipers, they're transformed. True worship of God reveals life transformation by God. Another way you could say that is this, when you have a relationship with Jesus, you get transformed by Jesus, and that overflows to worship of Jesus. Relationship with Jesus, transformation by Jesus, then worship of Jesus. And so what I think happens in this passage is that Jesus talks about spirit and truth, and then we see this woman live it out. Because remember, this isn't written to just tell us a great story about this woman. It's so that you would believe. And so he says, you must worship in spirit and truth. It wasn't like, mark that away in your academic books, put it on the shelf. Next time you come to church, hope you're zealous and accurate. It's look what this looks like. She doesn't start singing a song, but instead what happens, life transformation, her life out of her own zeal and passion, spirit, she's now going and telling about what what she knows. She'll know everything. She can't answer all their questions. Here's a man who told me everything I ever did. He's deeply intimate and knowledgeable. Could he be the one that we've all been waiting for? The Christ. Come and see for yourself. Truth. So you've got spirit and truth in her life. Then being expressed, she's a true worshiper. And for those of you who think there always has to be music involved when there's worship, how about the Christmas story? When the wise men come, we don't know if there's three. Somebody posted on my social media this week, there was a fourth that no one knows about. He brought fruitcake and he got kicked out. <laughs> Should have been a great move by Joseph if that's what happened. Fruitcake's terrible. Don't start giving it to me because you guys think there's like a reverse psychology trying to get fruitcake from you. I am not. It's gross. I don't want it. <laughs> but these guys come and they offer gifts. says so they saw the child, they bowed down and worshiped. Don't say anything about any singing. Now, singing's part of worship. We see that all throughout the Bible. Angels are singing right now to God in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's the only one worthy to open the scroll. Like, he is worthy of our singing. But what is real worship? Romans 12, one and two. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, in view of God's mercies, what he's done for you that you didn't deserve, offer your Bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing, yet spirit and truth continually throughout the scripture. And here you see it in this woman's life. A big problem for us is a lot of times we assume it's one or the other. It's either spirit or truth. And so I remember just in the, the history of our church, uh, for those of you who don't know, the reason why we're at this facility uh, is because about four years ago, I was having a conversation with a senior pastor of a church called Covenant Church. Uh, Covenant was historically a charismatic church. If you don't know what that means, they're pretty zealous about worship, singing. And um, I reached out to them because they didn't have very many people. And uh, we had people, we didn't have facilities. They had facilities, we didn't have people. Uh, Long story short on that piece, I've told that story before, I can tell it again some other time, is they ended up giving us their facility and joining us as a church. In the midst of that, our elders were talking to each other. And so like the leader of their elders, I talk to like the leader of our elders and like just ask questions about what, not just what do we believe on paper, but like how is that lived out? Because that's, that's what really matters, right? You can put whatever you want on a website. And so one of the things we got to is when we were talking about worship is wondering who's going to be comfortable and uncomfortable at our place. And so it was interesting being in my seat because I was talking to both groups. <laughs> And so I came over and I preached that covenant one time and I'm talking to them afterwards and I'm getting questions like this. Basically, how uptight are y'all? Cuz they're at, like I got asked, "Can you does anyone raise their hand? Does anyone move?" And I'm like, "Well, not many of them have rhythm, but sorry, those of you are part of that, but it's like, "But we they'll swing around a little bit." And, and then I go back to the other group and they'd be like, "Are they dancing in the aisles?" I was like, "No one's asked me to dance yet. I don't know." Like But under all that, like they're asking the other stuff because they knew where I went to school, they knew where our our church history had been. I don't know if they pictured just like a bunch of stoic Germans, like amazing race and whatever. (laughs) I don't know. But they just assumed it's like all in the head. And then there was assumptions. Assumptions are always dangerous. It was like, wow, I don't care as many people can be emotional. Is it all emotions? Jesus is saying, here, you got to have both. If you don't have both, that's not true Worship. It's got to be accurate, accuracy matters, needs to be passionate, spirit matters, come from the heart, accurately and passionately. One preposition in spirit and truth. Can't separate them, they're together. One of the issues we have is that we think sincerity trumps truth. Nope. I was reading this morning. Can you can read this on your own. Not really part of the sermon. Bonus material for you. you can just drop John down in the notes. 2 Samuel chapter 6. There's this guy named Uzzah. And uh, he's helping David. They're worshiping. They've got this ark. Figure all that out in the Old Testament later. And they've got this ark. And they're transporting it. It's a holy object. And so they bump into some rocky ground. The ark starts to fall. Uzzah touches it. He dies. Huh? Yeah, well, if God says not to touch the holy... He cares about... In Genesis chapter four, Bible scholars argue about why was Cain's when Cain and Abel they give their offerings? Why was one rejected and the other one received? So we all worship the, isn't acceptable to God? Yeah, accuracy matters. It matters significantly. The problem for this woman uh, we saw and talked about a little bit last week is John chapter four verse twenty-two: uh, "You worship what you do not know." Talking about you, plural oh man, is this racist? He's calling it this whole ethnicity, Samaritans. He's basically saying, you Samaritans? You worship what you don't know. They've edited their Bible. They've taken their culture and then decided that they can tweak the Bible based on their culture. Can't do that. Jesus made you and will remake you. You don't get to make him or remake him. And they're doing that with God. So he says, you don't know what you're even worshiping. Accuracy matters. They had a Bible, but they had edited it. It changed it for them. And so, we all know accuracy matters in tons of areas of life. And so, just to illustrate for you for a minute, um, if you decide that you're gonna take a trip, and you want to go to, I don't know, London, and they take you to London, Arkansas, you're not gonna be okay with that. There is a place. If you decide that, you know, you got to go to the doctor because you need a prescription, and you know, doctors, you know. A reputation for bad handwriting. If you're a doctor and you've got amazing handwriting, just show me after the service. I'd love to see it. <laughs> but if you go to your pharmacy and you're like, I couldn't read the script. I don't know if it was four milligrams or 400. So we just wrote one. Try it out. No. You go to the bank. I need 200 dollars. They give you Monopoly money or you know Dwight Schrute money, like whatever they give you. And you're like, Hey, this matters. I want my. I don't know. We withdrew it from your account. But we're just gonna get. It matters. If I go shopping at Harris Teeter and my wife texts me, which is like the worst thing that can happen, when I'm in there, not text. After that, text me all you want, but don't text me, because now you're going to tell me something. Now I'm going to be here way longer than I planned, because I can't find anything. But the worst thing she can text me is produce or like bananas, like go get some bananas, honey. Oh, man, it's not that I can't find the bananas, but now I can't go through self-checkout. You know why? Because I got to weigh these things. Like, how do I know? I don't know. Does this look like a Harris Teeter shirt? How, why do you think I know how to do that? I don't know. How to, I'm going to the professional, the person who is trained to do that. Because otherwise, one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to get all these bananas for like a nickel. And instead of being like, sweet, I'm going to be like, I probably just stole something. I'm going to feel guilty. Duh. Or I'm going to be like, $5 a banana. Like, I just don't know what I'm doing. Accuracy matters. And you know it matters. So why do we think it doesn't matter in worship when God is truth? How, but not just how, who we worship matters. Like this quote by John Piper. He's commenting on this passage as a whole. So he talks about spirit and truth. Uh, He says this. When it says that this true worship happens in spirit and truth, it means at least this. So it's not exhaustive, but at least this. You must be born of the spirit in order to worship God and that you must come to him through the truth, that is through Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. So when you're trying to get to truth, don't be afraid, Christian, that somebody might tell you something that you don't agree with. If it's true, it's gonna get you to Jesus. And you were just wrong about what you thought before. He is the truth? Hmm. Then accuracy really does matter because it impacts who we're worshiping. He told her, but they're using Yahweh, the name, and I told you in week one. We use Jesus for all different kinds of versions of Jesus. Well, we don't just do that. If I didn't offend you week one, I'm gonna offend you right now. A lot of times what we do is we merge our idols. An idol is not a little statue. An idol is anything you put in the place of God. Everyone here would say that your follower of Christ would probably affirm idolatry is a bad thing. You would probably say, you know, it's one of the top, it's the number one, you know, not, you should have no other God before you. Idolatry is bad. But <laughs> we have these things we want. And then in Christianity, we've gotten ugly with it, but we just don't even know it. How about how family-centric we are or kid-centric we are? This is a North Raleigh one. You know, if you act like I'm not stepping on your toes, I know that I am right now. How many people have said, well, I can't, I'm not, some of you are watching at home right now. Oh, I'm just gonna spend time with my family. Mm. I can't, so I'm not gonna do that. I gotta focus on my family. There's a whole ministry devoted to that. Not saying that they're bad, but what does it implicitly start to teach us? The family's central? That everything revolves around the family? The family's more important than everything else? Would your Jesus ever say this? Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Ooh, worthy is a pretty strong language. This is Jesus. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know your heart, I don't. But would your Jesus ever say that? Jesus of the Bible did. We know we're not supposed to be materialistic. I mean, I've got a friend who says, money is not everything. It just pays for everything. (laughs) So it matters. And you know what would be really convenient? If we could merge Jesus with our materialism and make him a savior who gives us the American dream and fills up our retirement account. And we don't wanna say like, he's a divine ATM, but if you just believed hard enough and gave enough to the right ministries, it's like a divine Ponzi scheme. Get under the spout where the blessings come out, Jesus ATM. I've actually heard that in a message. Would that Jesus ever say this? And whoever does not, this is the next verse, verse 38 in Matthew chapter 10. You could read Luke chapter nine, same idea. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me, so there's a cost, is not worthy, strong language of me. Truth matters. Who are you worshiping? Not what name are you using? Is it the Jesus of the Bible? Are you doing it the way he said? And spirit matters. Now, I'll be honest with you on this. Um, Different people argue different ways and I could go one day one way, one way to the other. What does it mean to worship him in spirit? Is that by the Holy Spirit? Or because there's not articles and the way the word is, is it your human spirit, which is like how I lean today, but there's other, I don't know, I think that it's when your spirit meets with God who is spirit, that is a worshipful encounter when it's really the God of the Bible. But it's certainly empowered by the Holy Spirit, it would never happen apart from a work of the Holy Spirit, I don't know, yeah, both, It was like what I want to say. And we know that the passion of our worship is fueled by our forgiveness. And we talked about that last week. I said one of our big problems in Raleigh is that we sin cleanly. You know what I'm talking about? Like instead of doing adultery, we'll just gossip about the people who do. And the ones who do, instead of going to the red light district, we use Tinder or you know, old high school friend from Facebook or whatever. It's clean. No such thing as clean sin, just so you know. But we think it is. No one is righteous. Not one, the Bible says. There's another big problem with forgiveness. We get forgiveness all twisted up. It's almost like the enemy knows how powerful it is and wants to make sure we don't get it clearly. The way forgiveness was pre-pandemic, and yes, I'm dividing the world, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. I do think that there are different places. <laughs> pre-pandemic, the way that forgiveness would work in America is it, it didn't matter what you did. If you brought something to the table, and it doesn't matter if that's an athlete who can score points, a musician who can sing songs, a pastor who can preach entertaining messages, uh, a a CEO that can bring a return on your investment, it doesn't matter. If they offer something, they can do horrible stuff. Have a press conference, cry, then I'll be a good boy from now on. Okay, move on. Preach your message, score the points, bring the returns. (laughs) Post-pandemic, you don't have to do something bad. You don't even have to agree with someone who did something bad. If you don't condemn properly the person who did the thing you might not have, you like Elvis and said he sings good music? Yeah, doesn't he? Don't you know he wasn't even keto? Oh. <laughs> Sorry! I've actually had people ask, how come you're not condemning this? I'm like, when did it become my job to know breaking news like I'm a pastor? like, you're not condemning this thing. I'm like, it's bad. What do you want me to say? Why does everyone got to give a commentary? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> give me your email address. I'm going to forward them. Anyway. <clears throat> <laughs> so we've got it messed up in like every way possible. Because clean, there ain't no clean sin. It's costly. It costs Jesus Christ his life. And then... That it can't be, no, any sin can be forgiven because Jesus was God. When he died on the cross, it wasn't like a limited ability to forgive. You can forgive any sin, but you got to come to him and receive it. And when you receive it, you recognize what you're actually being given, and there's a weight to it. Read Luke chapter 7. Jesus is at a house at a party of a guy who thinks he only sins cleanly. His name's Simon. And I told you, Jesus likes parties. Some parties are more fun than others. I'm guessing Matthew's was more fun than Simon's. I don't know. But he's hanging out. Jesus hasn't been shown hospitality. In comes a woman, probably a prostitute. We don't know. Starts washing his feet with perfume in her hair. And at the end of it, Jesus says, this woman loves much. She's been forgiven much. Those who have been forgiven much love much. The irony of it is Simon needs the forgiveness too. He just doesn't get it. Do you get it? Because that's where the passion comes from. When you recognize what's been done for you. And who did it? And you see him accurately and you respond appropriately. That leads to transformation, which is what we see in this woman's life. And what we see is that it overflows into witness. True worship overflows into witness for God. True worship of God overflows to witness for God. What you see in this passage is she becomes a true worshiper, but you never see her singing. The way that we oftentimes say it at Southbridge is that spiritual transformation, when God does something in your heart, leads to gospel saturation. You're going to then talk about the transformation that's taken place in your life. And you can say it lots of ways that what we possess, we profess. What has been received, we reveal. You start seeing this transformation in this woman's life, and Jesus was almost prophesying it. We just didn't know it at the moment back in John chapter 4 and verse 14. If you got a Bible, go back there. It says in chapter 4 and verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, remember he's talking about this living water, will never be thirsty again. And then he describes it. Look at this word picture. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water. So they're sitting at a well. You need a bucket to get the water out of Jacob's well. And he says it'll be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the picture here is of water that would be shooting out of the well. There's just, it's just overflowing, it's coming out. And people always are debating the Bible and so they debate what is the living water? Is it the Holy Spirit, is it Jesus himself, is it the eternal life? And There's only two places in the Gospel of John where Jesus talks about living water. The other one's in John chapter seven. In John chapter 7, what's taking place is called the Feast of Tabernacles. There are multiple different festivals that the Jews would celebrate on a regular basis. This was the fall festival. I don't know if there were hay rides and pumpkin spice lattes. It doesn't say that. If you want to know what they had to do, it's Leviticus chapter 23. We'll lay out how the festivals were supposed to be celebrated and what they were supposed to do. If you have an Instagram photo of pumpkin spice lattes happening at one of these that's ancient and we haven't seen yet, take the filter off, send it to us. We'll say, there it is. Because they didn't just do the stuff that was in Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23, you know, supposed to set up tents, the remembering, these tabernacles, tents, uh, the remembering their wilderness wanderings is to celebrate that God provided and delivered them. So they'd come, they'd all wear bright clothes, the priest would wear white clothes, and he'd come out and they'd do a, a moment together every day. The high point was on the last day. A guy named Edersheim says by New Testament times, what was happening is that the priest would come out and he'd grab a pitcher and he'd hold it before the people and the people would all come out and they got their colorful clothes on, he's got his white outfit on and then they would would have in one hand a reed and that was symbolic of their time in the desert and the other hand they'd have some fruit and apparently these people had rhythm because they would put them together. And they'd start playing them. And then the priest would take the pitcher and he'd hold it and he'd lead them in a procession down to the pool of Siloam. And so can you imagine? You guys are doing the electric shuffle behind me. Now I'm carrying this out there. Whatever you're doing some TikTok dance for the younger people, you are know, doing the another thing. I'm carrying this thing. I come down to the river, you know, get the water, pool of Siloam. Here we go. I come back. And then he would bring it back. And it was such an important moment in Jewish life that one time the priest accidentally spilled some on the floor and a riot broke out and 6,000 people died. It was the high point of the Jewish life when you poured it out on the altar. I'm trying to keep, them. I don't want y'all getting too rowdy here today. And Edersheim and many others believe that's when Jesus said this from John chapter seven, when the priest was pouring out the water on the altar, that Jesus said, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then verse 39 tells us that Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. Now this he said, John's telling us commentary now, Jesus said this, John's telling us, now this he said about the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But the people he's writing to, Spirit's been given. He's writing about this woman. We know even in the Old Testament, the Spirit will come upon people and sometimes the language is used leap upon, which is similar to the language in John 4, welling up, bubbling up. And then here overflowing and that's what we're seeing in her witness. And we know that we're all supposed to be witnesses. Acts one Jerusalem, Judea, outermost parts of the world, you're supposed to share the gospel. Go tell about what you've seen and experienced of Jesus. You will be my witnesses. Okay. What you don't want is you're going out and just doing that as some kind of sales pitch, like the extroverts for the church, you're the sales force, go recruit some people. Uh, some technique that we give you. It's supposed to be an overflow of what's happening in the transformation in your life. And then you see there's elements of it because still we wonder like, well am I, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And you see here for this woman, and I wanna say this really slowly and clearly because I want you to get this, it's really important, is that she identifies the need, she shares the news, and she gives an invitation. That's all it is. See the need, share the news, open invitation. So what does this woman do? She's, think about who she's going to. She's doing what's been done for her by Jesus. See, Jesus' love gets past all these barriers. You know, We're arguing about mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. Who are you gonna vote for? Do you like NC State? Do you like the pit? Like what do you like? Who do you like? What all this stuff? It's like nonsense. I was talking, I was asking one of the, I said, I, I told the el- one of the elders from uh, Covenant, I said, I don't wanna offend people from Covenant, so well, like, would it be offensive for me to say that people asked me they're dancing now? I was like, well, just don't talk about flags. I was like, what flags? American flags? Or would it be like a flag for a team or some kind of Christian flag? And he's like, I don't know, we just did it. And so, so we're talking through that. I was like, but people get upset about everything. And she's going to get past all that nonsense. I'm just coming, I'm you, you have a need that I see. And, and it, I'm not here to get you to stop sleeping with men. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't go back to prove to her how sinful she is. She knows. Saw the need. I'm going to the need. You have an eternal need. It's not this jug of water, and it's not this conversation about worship. You need to be saved. And so here's this woman, because what happens is when we have a relationship with Jesus, a genuine one leads to a life like Jesus. And so what happens is this woman is going to the very people she was trying to avoid a couple minutes ago. These are the pe- Some of these people, at least six of the men, are the people who caused the greatest pain in her life. She's going to them, come meet a man, here's the news, told me everything I ever did. Six guys are going, everything? Probably overspeak, and probably wasn't like on day one. This is what happened in your life. It was like, but the important stuff and he got to my heart and he can do that for you too. And what she's saying is he's a personal savior. He is deeply intimate and he knows everything. Could this be the Christ? And she's not trying to answer. What about when this happened and how come my kid didn't and that? And why can't I get, and I prayed and come and see, come meet him yourself. I've got some friends in our church. Uh, they're witnessing right now to some Mormons that showed up on their front door. Isn't that crazy? Like to come right to us and tell us. And so these Mormons come to their house. And so after the service last week, uh, they were asking me. I was like, "Can you talk to me about Mormonism?" I goes, "Well, here's the deal. They're humans. I mean, you can argue with them about should we baptize dead for dead people and should we wear weird undergarments and all that stuff. But that, that's not the point. Get them to Jesus as fast as you can. Just get them to Jesus. What do you think about this guy? I don't know about you. all are talking about. What about this? Has he changed my life? That's what she does." She sees the need, she sees the need, even though that means loving her enemy. So when I say, you know, we're worried about masks and how about this and somebody did that or didn't do that or whatever, uh, do they need Jesus? You get them to Jesus, that's your mission. You need to convince them about whatever. That's, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't matter. I'm not saying that the stuff that Mormons are saying doesn't matter, but the need is an eternal need. And get them to Jesus, Come. Just, you just come meet them. I don't need to prove them to you. I'll tell you what he did in my life. You want to meet him? Yeah, get him there. See, the problem is for many of us, have you heard of the bystander effect? How many of you have heard of the bystander effect? It's a social phenomenon, you know that? I'm not a sociologist, just read about some of these things. Uh, But the bystander effect is where we would think, just naturally, that when there's a tragedy, somebody gets in a car accident, has a stroke in public, like whatever, that the more people that see it, the more likely it is they'd get help. But they've actually proven the opposite is true. The more people that see the tragedy, the less likely anyone is to get involved and help. And so the famous case, the one that's oftentimes used if you've been in some of your uh, counselors and you've been in psychology classes and some of you have even just an undergrad done some of those things. Uh, what they talk about is this uh, Kitty, I think you pronounce it Genovese, I've only read it, I've not heard it said. And so, but Kitty was a, a young lady who was walking home really late one night in Queens, New York, 3.15 in the morning and a man stabbed her in the park. She fell to the ground screaming for help The man left because somebody reportedly came to his apartment window and said, get away from that girl. But then the guy didn't call the police, didn't go down there, went back to whatever he was doing in his apartment. And the guy left, the attacker. And 36 other people came by and saw her crawling to her apartment across the street and bleeding, screaming for help, and no one helped. So the attacker came back, stabbed her again, sexually assaulted her, killed her. The New York Times then said the next day, 37 people saw this and no one intervened. And that's when sociologists and psychologists started talking about the bystander effect. And they came up with a lot of reasons why people don't get involved. Some people don't get involved because they're scared for their own safety. Some people don't get involved uh, because no one else is getting involved. And so they don't want other people to think differently about them. That sounds pretty pathetic when you put it in perspective. Some people don't get involved just because they think, well, there's a lot of people, so somebody's gonna why do I have somebody's gonna do this? It's about eight theories on reasons people give that they don't get involved. And I think about, some of y'all are sharing the gospel. I am just talking about a couple sharing the gospel. I'm not saying everybody here is afraid to share the gospel, but why do some people not share the gospel? Why well, don't people think I'm weird? Somebody's gonna do it. But I mean, that's like, like the varsity, like if you're standing on the stage, it's like your job to do that, or like a couple missionary, we pay them to go do that. And it's like, I've, I share the gospel by writing checks for people. And it's like, that's, in the New Testament, like Acts, the believers gathered around the apostles' teaching. It wasn't the apostles leading everyone to Christ. It was the church. And God was adding the number daily. And because what was happening is people were being transformed by the gospel and then it was leaking out of their lives like an overflowing spring. And they knew there were people that had a need. Now, you know, if you're a Christian, you know that if someone doesn't have Christ, they're going to hell. That's long. There's a need. It's significant. But the problem, some of you don't like those people. But if you've experienced Jesus, do you know that you were his enemy? And I don't mean because you're not Jewish, because most of you aren't Jewish. It's because you were a sinner. Sinners are enemies of God. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. There are none righteous, not one. You'll never look anyone in the eye that's righteous apart from Christ. So we might have different sins. We all have the same problem. And there's only one answer. He's the way, the truth. And the only way you're going to have life is Jesus. That's the news. You see the need, share the news, give the invitation. All she says, come and see. Come and see him, come and meet him. And Do you know what Jesus does next in the passage? We don't have time to look at it, but in John chapter four, verse 35 through 42, he tells his disciples, look up. The harvest is plentiful. I'd say to you, Southbridge, it is a different world. It's getting darker out there. Not just because inflation's going up and electricity bills, you gotta turn your lights off. And sin is running rampant i try to connect friends with counselors. Everybody's full. We're in a mental health crisis. The darker it gets, the brighter your light shines. I'm gonna give you the same invitation that woman gave. Come and see, come and meet this Jesus. I don't want to talk about witnessing without witnessing. And I'm not going to assume everybody here is a believer if you're a follower of Christ. When I say bow your heads and close your eyes in just a second, I want you to picture somebody you need to witness to, somebody you need to share the gospel with. And if it's a friend, it's your kid, that's great. But maybe it's an enemy. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you don't know Christ, and for those of you who don't know how to share the gospel, it's as simple as this. If you don't know Christ, it's this. Admit, believe, confess. Admit your sin, believe in Jesus, and confess him as Lord. The Bible says it like this. If you're watching online, we'll put the verse on the screen. If you're in this room, you want to look up and see it to know that I'm not making this up. It says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise from God. He keeps his promises. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Admit your sin, that's your need. Believe that Jesus is who he said he is, the savior of the world. Who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. Admit, believe, and confess him as Lord. And the Bible says you will be saved. And so I'm going to pray a prayer right now to give you an opportunity to do that. To ABC. Admit, believe, confess. And if you don't know Jesus, this is the divine appointment he had for you today. And You pray this prayer. You can pray it out loud. You're driving in your car. You're sitting in your living room or you're in this room. I promise you nobody sitting around you is going to be offended by you praying this prayer. They will rejoice with you. But if you want to pray quietly, you can do that. Just pray something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. Admit your sin to him. Maybe the sin you were thinking about earlier when I said, what's that sin? Acknowledge that to him right now. You don't need to pray my words. You just acknowledge your sin to him. That's your need. And you realize you can't do it on your own. And so you You need a savior. If you believe that he is the savior of the world, if you believe that he was the God-man who came and died for your sins and rose from the dead so that you could have eternal life, and say, I believe on Jesus, and you confess him as Lord, that means you're given the controls of your life over to him. I believe he is Lord, I give you my life. Turn your life over to him, and the Bible says that you're born new at this very moment if that was you. So if you did that, I, I just challenge you, don't be alone. I'm not going to show up at your house, i are not going to do anything, but we've got resources for you. If you'd text, text the church, text, email the church, info at sfchurch.com. Let us know in some way. You can come see me after the service. If you're here in person, I'll be down here in the front. If you're a follower of Jesus already. I pray that God will stir in your heart. I pray every time we give an invitation for someone to trust Christ, God would put somebody's face in your mind that you need to share with that week. Maybe it's somebody you know, maybe it's somebody from your past, maybe somebody you haven't met yet, and he puts a vision that you're gonna see them, and when you see them, you think, whoa, that's, I better. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.